Hey, listen, before we get into the, the message, I just want to say that uh, since I've been coming to this church, I have been so challenged by the messages that are preached here. Matter of fact, I find it so challenging that I consider it a privilege to drive an hour and a half to get here to be with you guys. It's a privilege. Hey, and if the Word of God doesn't challenge you, then you might want to talk to Pastor Stevens after the service tonight. He might want to pray with you to get ears to hear. <laughs> so tonight's message is actually really a question that I'm going to lay out before you. And that question is, where are you? We're going to start in Genesis. We'll end up in Revelations. Amen. And we're going to stop a whole bunch of places in between there. So if you have your Bible, you better have your Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm preaching out of the NIV. That's the version Jesus almost used. And I might need to put these on so I can see a little better. Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. I heard one guy say there. There we go. All right, here we go. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? You know, I find it amazing. We're only in the third chapter of the written-down history of God's creation. And the one thing that he created... He's already trying to hide from him. I find that amazing. They're trying to hide from the, the one who created them. The Bible says that nothing in all of creation is hidden from him. But yeah, here they were trying to hide. You ever try to hide from God? He sees everything. He hears everything. He knows everything. So when God came walking in the garden looking for his creation... And he called out to him, where are you? I know that he wasn't asking him where he was physically. He was asking him where he was spiritually. I want you to know that when I got born again, I realized real quickly that I was on an incredible spiritual journey. But I also realized pretty quickly that I was going to have to stop every once in a while and take stock. Take inventory, if you will, of where I'm at on this spiritual journey. And I believe that's the same thing God's asking of us tonight. Where are you? We need to stop and, and ask that question from time to time because if we don't, we might get lost. Because we've got, we got an enemy that is going to trip you up. Let's turn to uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 13.5. You see, as we're along this journey, we need to examine ourselves. Second Corinthians 13.5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. You know, we need to examine ourselves. What are we going to use to examine ourselves with? You know, I can't 
judge myself by looking at anybody else. I can't judge myself by reading somebody else's biography. The only thing that I can use to examine myself with is the Word of God. Amen. And I'm here to tell you tonight, when I do that, I find out that I come up short. You know, the last time I checked Pastor Stevens, my shadow never healed anybody. <laughs> I got a lot of work to do. I'm not all the way there yet. So we need to examine ourselves as we're on this spiritual journey. Where are you at? Let's go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. Hallelujah. You know, I was just going to read verse 18, but I think I'm going to back up and start in verse 16. It says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and he heard. You see, I just told you a while ago that God sees everything and he hears everything. What does that say there? He heard. He heard them talking. And it says, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. They will be mine, says the Lord Almighty, in the day when I make up my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as in compassion a man spares his son who serves him. Now listen to verse 18. And you will again see the distinction between those who serve God and those who who do not. You know, this scripture has been bothering me for some time. It's been gnawing away at my spirit. And the reason it is is because in the modern day church world, so much of the world has crept into the church. And it's hard to tell the difference between those who serve God and those who do not. Come on, we serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's the morning star. The lily of the valley, he's the one that took my feet out of the miry clay and set me upon a rock. Amen. They ought to know outside there that I serve this king of kings. It ought to be clear. But yet you can't tell the difference. You know, I understand. And I firmly believe that Jesus Christ died for sinners. So I find it sad. And it troubles my spirit. When most Christians live like Jesus was never crucified at all. That bothers me. And if it doesn't bother me, you, then there's something wrong. We serve the King of Kings. Those people out there need to know that we serve Him. They need to know what He's capable of. And they're watching us. You know, right down the road from here, 20 minutes maybe. They took an old basketball arena. They turned it into a church. And I hear they can pack 20,000 people in this place. But I bet you couldn't go in there and tell the difference between those who really serve God and those who do not. I find that amazing. Especially in a place like that. I realize why you couldn't find that. You know why you couldn't find that in there? Because they're too busy preaching sermonettes about how you can feel good from Friday to Friday. You know what happens when you preach sermonettes in a church? It produces Christianettes. <laughs> and you're hard-pressed to find 
the difference between those who serve God and those who do not. Look, I'm here to tell you tonight that outside of those doors, there's lost, there's hurting, there's hungry people that are crying out. I hear the cry. They're crying out with the church of the living God. Please stand up. Please speak up. I need Jesus and I don't know where to find Him in this modern church age. That's the cry that's going on. It should be easy for the people that we hang around with to know that we've been born again. Amen. That we serve the living God. Amen. It should be clear. I remember one time Brother Rick preached a message in a youth group one night. And he challenged them. He said, if you get arrested and they take you to court and they charge you with being a Christian, would they find enough evidence for you to be guilty of that charge? Would there be enough evidence? They need to know that we serve the living God. They're hungry. They're hurting. Where are you at tonight? Let me give you one distinction that should set us apart from the rest of them. Turn with me to Galatians 5.22. This ought to be the one thing in our lives that sets us apart. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, I think they could have put a period right there. And just stop that, because if you have love, the rest of these are attributes of that love. If you have love, all the rest of these things, you're going to have them. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Gentleness and self-control. You see, if we have those things, if we have the Spirit of God in us, those things are flowing in our life, it'll be easy for them to tell the difference between those who serve God and those who do not. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of seeing undercover Christians. You know, what do they got to cover up? I mean, how, how, do, they, how do they think they're going to escape such a great salvation? It doesn't compute. All right, let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 47. And we're going to read verses 1 through 6. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. 
He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits, and he led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off a thou another thousand, and he led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Out of this passage of scripture, I picked out three levels of Christianity. The first level that I want to talk about is the knee-deep Christians. I mean the ankle-deep. I'm sorry, we're going to start from the top. Ankle-deep Christians. Ankle-deep Christians. This represents those that might be just born again, they just got in the water, so to speak. They're just getting started on their spiritual journey. But you know what? It could also represent those that got started a long time ago. And they don't want to get any further in the water. They don't like getting wet. They don't like a commitment. But you have to understand, it's easy to walk around in shallow water. Ankle-deep water offers very little resistance. Well, how about the knee-deep Christians, you might ask? Well, knee-deep Christians, at least they went out a little bit further, but it kind of represents those that are growing in the Lord, and they're learning to trust Him. Now we're in a little bit deeper of a walk. You know what that means? Now we're getting knee-deep in our commitment, in our obedience to the call of God. This means, we must, this means we must work a little harder, study a little bit more, do a little bit more than other people, and be more committed to getting things done. But just like the uh, ankle-deep water, knee-deep harder to walk in. Any of you ever tried to walk in knee-deep water? It's a little harder to walk around in. It also hides a lot of things that might cause you to stumble. But so does serving the Lord. But take heart because this is the process of strengthening you and building your faith. But this is only a knee-deep commitment. God is saying, step out a little bit further. Let me draw you closer. Ezekiel is carried out into water now that is waist-deep. Waist deep. Now the going gets tough. How many of you ever heard that saying, when the going gets tough, the tough get going? That's right. How do you get tough? Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Or I like the other one in Zechariah. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's how you get tough. It's hard to walk around in waist-deep water. 
the, the demands on your time and your energy and your commitment, now that really cuts into your already busy schedule. Waist deep Christians are those who at this point realize that God has a specific plan for them. Now you better be reading your Bible a whole lot more. You better be praying harder than you ever prayed before. And you have to be concerned with what God wants you to do. When you're in waist deep water, there's tough opposition and strong resistance. You might even be called radical. You might even hear that word Jesus freak. I remember the very first time a man called me a Jesus freak when I was witnessing to him. At first, I didn't know what to say. Like, really? I had to think about it for a minute. I said, well, yeah, I guess you're right. I am a Jesus freak. But that only leads me to one question. Whose freak are you? Because the Bible's clear. You're either for God or you're against him, right? You see, when you get into the waist deep water, there's going to be some people that don't agree with your convictions. There's going to be those that try to tell you that you can't do what God is telling you to do. They might even say that you miss God. You know, and I understand that there's always going to be those who only wade out ankle deep or don't even get in the water at all. And guess what? These are usually the ones that are just trying to discourage the ones that do get out in the water. Wow. Next, we find that the water's too deep to even touch bottom. Amen. Ezekiel had to swim. When you get committed to God enough that even your plans are scary, that's when you're getting into the deepest walk with the Lord. That's the place where you must learn to depend on the Holy Spirit more than ever. Because now you've learned that you can't do what God has called you to do on your own. When you're this deep, you've gone way beyond your ability. Hey, you missed a good place to say amen there. Look, God's not interested in your ability. He's only interested in your availability. Are you available to him? Because, see, when you become available, he'll give you the ability. When you sell out to him, he'll make a way. Where are you? Are you available? You see, Ezekiel had gone so far from the shore that he could no longer walk back. Wherever the river went, wherever it flowed, that's where he was going. But he knew that God was in control, and it was going to carry him wherever it went with no danger of drowning. Amen. You see, he knew that Almighty God was in control of the water and in control of his life, and he wasn't afraid to be all the way in. Can the same be said of us today? Are you afraid to be all the way in? You see, most Christians, most of them, will never experience the joy, the fulfillment, the trust, and the love for God that comes with this kind of a commitment. You know why? Because they love the safety of being on the riverbank. They refuse to leave their comfort zone. They refuse to stretch and grow beyond what they can see. Their faith is never exercised to the point that they have complete peace no matter what the world throws at them. You see, true spiritual maturity is about coming to the end of ourselves 
and realizing how big God really is. He wants us to lose sight of ourselves. He wants us to lose sight of our goals, our ambitions, our dreams. And He wants us to become 100% totally surrendered to Him and His will for our lives. Where are you? See, I said this a while ago. I'm going to have to say it again. Walking in ankle-deep water requires little effort. The force of the water against your steps is minimal. And you can easily get in or get out at will. It's also easy for some outside force, like the wind or a friend, to knock you out of the water. You see, since many Christians never get more than ankle-deep in their commitment to Christ, you can see why so many live such shallow lives. And they're easily carried about by every little wind of doctrine that blows their way. You know, these dear people rarely hear the voice of God. Instead, they listen to every voice that says what they want to hear, that makes them feel good and justifies their shallow walk with God. But here's my concern, church. Here's my concern. Is that many of these shallow Christians are not really Christians at all. And they may end up missing the rapture. You see, walking in water up to your knees does require a little bit more effort and a deeper commitment. Even so, it's fairly easy to be knocked out of the water by the same circumstances as the ankle-deep Christians. I believe these first two categories could be what Jesus refers to as lukewarm. The ones that he will spit out. It got quiet in here for some reason. What, ha- what happened? You know, in my mind, these two categories who are non-committal and compromising with the world, they're the type of people that President Teddy Roosevelt was speaking of when he said, far better is it to fail in the attempt of great things than to take rank with the weak, timid souls who neither know the glory of victory or the agony of defeat. You know, it's only those who will get at least ways deep and ultimately over their heads. It's only those that will ever experience the glory of victory in Jesus. Where are you? Are you experiencing victory in your life? Because God already provided it for you. You've got to grab a hold of it. Let's go to Matthew 13. Beat me there. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 24 through 26. And this is Jesus speaking. These aren't my words. These are Jesus' words. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. In his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Now, look, I picked this scripture out tonight because there was a time in my life that I was a farmer. 
I farmed rice. I farmed some corn. I farmed some maize. And there's a phenomenon that happens in a rice field that happens in a wheat field. In a rice field, we call it red rice. But in a wheat field, there's this weed that grows up in a wheat field. This weed grows up. I've been in some wheat fields, but I couldn't tell by looking at this thing that it was a weed. This farmer had to show me this. So this weed grows up right next to the wheat. It gets rained on like the wheat. It gets the sunshine like the wheat. It looks just like the wheat. As a matter of fact, they got a name for it. You know what they call it? False wheat. <laughs> they call it false wheat. Why? Because it looks just like the wheat. It waves just like the wheat. But you know what the difference is between the real wheat and the false wheat? If you pick that grain off of that false wheat and you peel that outside shell around it off, you know what you find in there? Nothing. Wow. Absolutely nothing is inside of there. What if Jesus peeled back the layers of our life tonight? What would he find in there? Would he find something? You know, oftentimes when I read this scripture, I've read it a lot. I think of something and it makes me sad. I think about in our country, there must be hundreds of churches that are full of weeds. And that makes me sad. You know why? Because a weed can never be a wheat. It can't. A weed can never be a weed. Let's go to Matthew 25. We're going to read verses 31 through 46. And it's still quiet in here. What's, what's going on? Oh, okay. Amen. Matthew 25, 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not help me. He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you do, did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. He's talking here about the sheep and the goats. I, make it, I, I find it strange that Jesus compares us to sheep. <laughs> he does. He compares us to sheep. And the reason I find that strange is because I could think of some, a whole lot better animals I'd rather be referred to than a, a sheep. Come on, sheep aren't very smart, are they? You know, sheep, if it goes away from the herd, it'll get lost. A sheep has to be led to water. A sheep has to be led to food. If a sheep falls down and gets on his back, he has to have help getting back up. He can't do it by himself. Here's something else I bet you didn't know about sheep. If a sheep finds a snake hole in the ground and he sticks his nose in it and he gets bit, he don't have enough sense to not do it again. He just keeps doing it. <laughs> That's kind of dumb. That's kind of dumb. Yet we see it all the time. <laughs> you know how they rectified that problem back then? They'd put some anointing oil on their noses so that way when they stuck their nose in there, the snake would, wouldn't bite them. Yeah. Yeah. Some of you are going to have to go out and work with some snakes tomorrow, aren't you? You better get some anointing oil on you. <laughs> hey, look. The sheep might be dumb. But the sheep have mastered one thing that we humans cannot master. They only follow the shepherd's voice. The sheep have mastered that. We seem to have a problem with that. Sheep won't follow a stranger. They'll only follow the good shepherd. They know his voice. Do you know his voice tonight? Where are you? Hey, I didn't even mention the billy goat. Because he talks about goats there, didn't he? You know what I think of a billy goat? I think of a really stubborn animal. A goat is stubborn. Hard-headed. Likes to do everything his way. But you know what? Heaven's not like Burger King. You don't get it your way. You can only go home by the way of the cross. It's the only way you're going to get heaven. Amen. Where are you? All right, in closing, we're going to go to Revelations. One Sunday morning, a little nine-year-old boy turned to his grandmother in church, and he said, Grandma, what does enclosing mean? His grandma looked at him frustrated and said, Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I thought it meant the preacher gets another hour. <laughs> Hallelujah. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. This is a very familiar passage of scripture here. Matter of fact, I've heard some really good messages preached on this. I mean, real good messages. 
If you want to hear a good message preached on this one, uh, listen to Francis Chan. What was the title of that message, Brother Rick? Lukewarm and loving it, right? Yeah, that's a good message. Lukewarm and loving it. Anybody know Francis Chan in here? Man, he's, he's a pretty cool guy. He's a uh, Chinese-American preacher out in Simi Valley, California. Used to have a mega church until God gave him a revelation that it was going down. And he said, I ain't going down with it. He said, I'm going to start preaching. Amen. So he did. Hallelujah. I'm not even in Revelations. What am I doing? <laughs> hey, they're listening. Hallelujah. Praise God. Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16. I'm sure everybody's heard this scripture many, many times. And it's, it's a good scripture. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now look, most of the messages that I've heard out of this passage, they all skipped right to the lukewarm spot. And that's good, don't get me wrong. But I often wondered, why did they skip over the first part of that scripture? Because it says, hot or cold. They skip right over that part all the time. They go right straight to lukewarm. So I'm going to preach it backwards. We might end up at the same way, same place, but it kind of gave me a, a new look at it when I, when I studied this. How many of you ever been in freezing cold weather? You see, I was in the military. And when I got finished with my training, they told me I was going to Korea. I jumped up and I shouted, where is that at? Because I don't know where that is. <laughs> they sent me to South Korea. I lived there for 14 months. But within the very first two hours of me being there, I liked to froze to death. Because the military doesn't do anything unless it's 2 o'clock in the morning. So here we are all the way around the other side of the world, 2 o'clock in the morning. We're dressed in these real flimsy Class A uniforms with dress socks on. I didn't get to wear nothing else. We're standing outside. It's 19 degrees. We're waiting for some drunk guy to get up out of his bunk so we can get in out of the cold weather. Within 30 minutes, my feet were cold. I was freezing. But you know what? As I was standing there freezing, I noticed my body was shaking. You see, when your body's cold, it'll start shaking. And it'll start burning some energy to try to warm you up. When that air conditioner up there kicks on, something happens. There's some electricity being used. There's some Freon flowing through those tubes. That's Brother Rick. He'll tell you, just put some in there. He just put some of that Freon in there. But see, something happens when you turn that thing on. There's some energy being used there. It's requiring something. Well, what about the hot? What about that hot thing? You know, I like, to, I like to use the hot thing this way. Let's say you take a, you can take a cup of cold water or a pot of cold water. It can be warm water. You pour it in the back of that coffee pot, and within seconds, it comes out very hot, scalding hot. There's some energy being used there. There's a heating element in the back of that little coffee pot, and it's heating that water up in seconds. It's requiring some energy to be used. Now let's say, let's say I take a cold glass of water, or let's use iced tea, I like iced tea. 
let's, let's take a cold glass of iced tea. And we set it on the table. And we walk away from it. Within three hours or so, what happens to that glass of iced tea? It becomes lukewarm, doesn't it? And you don't have to do anything. Just walk away from it. So let's take a hot cup of coffee. We set it on that table. We walk away from it. It does the same thing, doesn't it? Without doing anything to it. It just becomes lukewarm. All right, now let's put a third glass in that mix. And now we're going to take that hot cup of coffee and that cold glass of tea, and we're going to pour them together. When you do that, you know what you get? True, you get lukewarm, but that's not the word I was looking for. You get an average of the two. Is that right? You get an average of the two. And see, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, I don't want you to be average. You're not going to accomplish nothing in the kingdom by being average. You know why? Because it doesn't require any energy from you. Anybody can be average. Anybody. It doesn't require nothing. It doesn't require anything to be average. Anybody can do it. Pastor Matt. Let me give you a clear picture of what Average looks like to me. You see, little David, before he became the king, was given instructions to go out to the army of Israel and take them some supplies. So he goes out there with all these supplies. And he comes upon this scene. There's a giant out there defiling the whole entire army of the living God. But here's the army sitting in the dugout, afraid to get on the field. Why? Because they were probably just average guys. They were just average. They had no idea what resided on the inside of them. They had no idea that the battle was already won. They had no idea who they were in Christ. They were just average guys. But here was David. He was on fire for the Lord. He knew that his Redeemer lived. He knew that the battle belonged to the Lord, and he wasn't scared to step up to the plate. Look, it's going to come a time when you're going to face some giants in your life. There's going to be some storms come against you, and you're not going to win the battle by being average. You're going to have to be on fire for God. It requires something of you, though. It's like those ankle-deep Christians. They didn't want to make a commitment. This thing requires something of us. It requires something. I mentioned it before I started that I've been challenged by the messages here. If the Word of God doesn't challenge you, Something's wrong. Something's wrong. The Word of God is designed to challenge us. And we need to be challenged. And we need to be able to stop from time to time and ask ourselves the hard questions. Where are we? Where are you? Because if you don't take stock occasionally, the enemy will beat you down. You need to know where you're at. 
You need to not forget the God that we serve. The God that knew us before we were formed in the womb. He loves us. He's got a plan for us. But it requires something of us. It requires some effort 